Hey, Matt. Yes, Lucas? Do you want to do a podcast? Sure. What do we need? Hmm. Voices. Check. Now, what next? Some sort of intro music. Oh, good. Okay. Drums. Piano accordion. Yes! Now horns. More horns. That's what we're looking for. I'm Matt. And I'm Lucas. Welcome to Beyondering. So welcome listeners, wherever you are in podcast land, sitting on the bus, maybe with your headphones in as you're going to sleep, maybe you're in the shower. Welcome to Beyondering, the podcast series exploring faith out of bounds. We're excited you're along for the journey. Beyondering is, well, at least season one, is a 10 episode series and each week we've got a theme episode around a particular point of inquiry and we're going to explore those themes together and connect you with guests both locally and internationally. Dave Andrews, welcome to Beyondering. Jared McKenna, welcome to Beyondering. Michael Dow, uh, Webb, good to speak to you. It's weird to have a person when for so long you've been a surname. Sometimes in Australia I've even been made a verb. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said, have you been spawned yet? And we'll say thank you, Alex Sangster, for coming Beyondering. Walter Brueggemann. Yeah, so just uh, for our listeners, we're interviewing Bruce Sanguin, uh, evolutionary <laughs> mystic and dealer. <laughs> He's calling us. Hey, guess what's happening? Dominic Cross is calling me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting prank called by Dominic Cross. <laughs> More of a visual thing, really. <laughs> a few years ago, I was in ministry at a church and I worked alongside a senior minister at the time who was a really lovely guy. He was much more traditional in his theology and his thinking than I was, and I was really well aware that there were just differences in how we approached life and faith. The thing that made it easy to work with him, though, was despite these what felt like big differences, he didn't really ever ask me what I thought or what I felt. So I was able to do what I needed to do, and we did work together really well for all intents and purposes, but was pretty much able to fly under the radar. Uh, At some stage, an interfaith group approached our church asking to to see if our church could combine with them to um, join in some some activities in the area in the name of, of interfaith, peace and collaboration. And I remembered uh, feeling really encouraged by this, by heartened by this, that our church could get involved in this. Um, however, it wasn't something he was up for at all. He voiced very strongly to me after the approach was made to our church what he thought, what he felt. He was very anti the idea. After a very strong, passionate tirade at me, he did something that in the five years of ministry there, he'd never done before. And that is, he turned to me and he said, So what do you think? Which was the last thing I wanted him to ask me in that moment. Because my chest pumped, my heart was racing, my hands went sweaty, 
and I did the only thing that I could do in that moment, and that was fumble out some Christian pleasantries. I could not tell you what I said, but I know it was not what I thought and what I believed and what I wanted to say. I had no freedom or capacity to just name and to voice and to give air to my questions, my thoughts, my concerns, my hopes, my passion, my, my curiosity. And so I tucked back under the radar and squashed that which I would love to have birthed. So I was made to feel as though these questions I had that were real and live were not allowed, were not permitted, had no room within my tradition. And yet, since that time, I've begun to find others who have been asking these questions, that I wasn't alone in asking these questions. I've begun to bump into mates, friends, courageous fellow travellers who are maintaining faith who are actually seeing these questions as windows into deeper faith, who are asking them and allowing them to be guided into new and better and broader and more loving spaces. I have lots of problems with God. What's the difference between being religious and spiritual? At least with a God that's all-powerful, all-knowing and all-loving. I have faith. And yet I believe the existence of heaven and hell are unimportant. I have faith, yet I believe that there is beauty and truth in other religious and belief systems. That most of the Bible is non-factual. God doesn't intervene. Why Jesus and not Gandhi? And God doesn't answer prayer. I have faith, yet I believe that if there is an afterlife, getting into it won't depend on what name I call God. I don't think I believe in the need to be saved. I have a faith. And yet I don't believe God intervenes. I have faith and yet I believe that the supernatural Can Christians get angry, hurt, disappointed? And yet I don't God doesn't intervene. Get into I have faith it, yet. I believe that there is yet beauty I believe and truth in other religions and belief systems. What's the difference between being Because my experience of the world is that that God can't exist. Back in the day of my final year at high school, I was in a chemistry class with an older teacher who was known to be a Christian. The topic for the day involved talking about the forces which draws atoms together and which holds electrons in orbit around nuclei. And the conversation began to lead on to the origins of matter and energy in the universe. Where had all this come from and how had it come about? It all seemed so intricate and interdependent. Was it possible that such complexity could come about by chance? I'll never forget the response of my teacher. She paused for a moment then said, This is the point where what I believe as a Christian and what I see as a scientist separate. I have to teach this because it's the curriculum, but as a Christian I believe God created the universe. You can perhaps imagine the response of a class full of teenagers. So, do you not believe in science? Are you teaching us something you don't believe in? Are you not being real with us, miss? I can remember the shock at realising that a grown adult, pretty much at retirement age, could seemingly have such a significant question for their line of work so thoroughly unresolved. It was like she had two 
different operating systems on a computer, one which she could work in professionally that allowed her to teach science and the reality of what humanity had discovered about the universe, and the second operating system in which she held her faith, and the two never mixed. I was struck by how conflicted she appeared, and by how inadequately her conception of faith and reality were able to be resolved for an audience of 20-odd teenagers. So as a young man with a basic belief that there was perhaps some sort of God, it left me with all sorts of questions. If I am to believe in God, does that mean that I have to ignore science, history, reality? Does having a faith mean accepting some sort of schizophrenic existence in the modern world? Or if there is a God who is everywhere and in everything, then doesn't that include science and history? And can't these stories from our faith traditions and what we are learning about the world be resolved? As life went on for me and I saw more of the world, other questions became apparent, like if I were born into a different family in another country, wouldn't I likely just take on the religion of that family and culture? Would that be my fault? Would God love me less because of an accident of birth? So what then of other religions? Is it really just bad luck for them? Sucks to be you? A light bulb went on for me. The day an elderly mentor I used to share pots of tea with told me that he had given up believing in hell long ago. How does that make sense for a God of love, he said. Now the light bulb went on not because of the view that he arrived at. You can take that or leave that if you like. But because he showed me I could think for myself. In fact, I had to. And that I could make my own mind up and still choose whether or not I wish to hold this faith and what shape it would take. He also showed me though that these weren't popular questions and asking them tended to make people uncomfortable and get you branded an outsider, not a true believer. I got a subtle sense from my minister at the time that he would have preferred I sat at the feet of mentors more compliant to the status quo. As though it was dangerous to let people think for themselves. It showed me that it's often not popular to seek out different points of view so that your own view can be refined. It is, however, in my view, essential. And we want Beyond Ring to help create a community where we can come together and encourage those questions, where we can find life and guidance in those questions. If people go to our website, they'll find that as a space where we can continue these conversations, all the ideas that get raised by the podcasts. And then during the week, we can unpack these ideas and questions together. But Matt, we've invented a word. What does beyondering mean? Well, it's the thing. It's not just the name of our podcast. It's an idea. It is whenever we move beyond to a new place whenever we transcend that which is limited and inhibited love. It's surpassing former prejudices, beliefs that have become stale and unusable. It's whenever we move into new, more expansive, more open and loving territory. So it's an attitude that's always wanting to peek over the fence to see what's on the other side and goes looking for those big, deep questions. Questions that are not often asked. Questions that often don't feel safe the questions that often become the elephants in the room I've always had questions in me big questions they stomp around my chest a herd of elephants 
Not full-sized elephants, these elephants are little. But they're still heavy and a little bit scary. Sometime in my late teens, they broke out, prized my ribcage open and barged their way out between my bent back bones. And off they went, out into the big wide world, grazing philosophical savannas, exploring theological jungles and crashing through the endless mass media scrub. I never bent my ribs back into place. Friends told me to get surgery, to stitch up this gaping wound in my chest, but it wasn't a wound to me, it was an opening. And then, slowly, they started to come home. Not all of them, some found what they wanted out there. It was mostly the big elephants that came back. The muddied ones, the untamable ones, the ones in the room that no one mentions. Thump by thump they lumbered back in through my aching chest. And these days, they come and they go, sometimes with gentle pushes, other times with crushing shoves. And I found the only way to live with elephants blundering around my heart is to give them space. Let them go if they need to. Let them sit if they have to. I used to hear the beat of fear in their thumping and trumpeting. But now I hear the melody of curiosity. Now, their insistent stomping and stamping is an anthem to the country of my being. That was Melbourne poet Cam Simmons there. I love the imagery of our questions being untamable, that they actually can get trapped. They need to be given room and freedom and permission to roam and mm. to stretch and do what they need to do. Mm. And they also return home. And continue to serve us. They continue to, to guide us into places we need to travel. He picks up an important point that these questions will crash their way out of us unless they're given the room and the space that they need to move around. Churches can sometimes be unsafe places to ask really important questions. I was having a conversation with a colleague recently about why churches are sometimes unsafe places one of the hot topics of the moment is around sexuality. And I asked him why couldn't his church have that conversation? And his view was that he was worried that the community wasn't able to hold that conversation safely, that someone would stand up and say something dangerous or hurtful. So we see Beyondering as creating that safe place to let our questions roam. And to do that, we're going to discover that Christianity, that our faith is not a new thing, that there are people throughout the century that have probably asked the same questions you've asked. And there's people at the moment who are wrestling around with these ideas and these questions in profound ways. And we're going to point you towards them. We're going to introduce you to those who are already doing the work. So in what might be a strange move for a first show, we're going to lead into a bit of a, a clip segment giving people a taster of, uh, of what is to come over this first season of Beyond Ring.
We recognise our product is so strong that halfway through our first episode, we can move to a best <laughs> of segment. You gotta move when the spirit says move. You've gotta move when the spirit says move. Cause when the spirit says move, you've gotta move. Oh Lord, you've gotta move when the spirit says move. I first became involved in marriage equality as an issue because I kept hearing voices in the Australian media and in politics that claimed to represent Christians that were typically voices from very conservative lobby groups who were saying, this is what Christians believe on this issue. And I simply wanted to say, they don't represent me or many other people I know. There is another Christian voice on this issue. I, I sometimes get nervous when people talk about, yeah, we need we need to build better communities or uh, I'm being hurt by uh, my experience of mainstream church. Maybe what I need is to be a part of a Christian community or a house group or something like that. The, the problem is, is that they're full of people. I, I often think we, we idolise church and turn it into an idol instead of realise that this is a group of people that are at least as problematic as me. How do we actually set up healthy ways of uh, being together that can create cultures of confession instead of cover-up and actually be able to name the kind of dynamics that are unhealthy. So Bonhoeffer's whole thing, those that seek to create community, destroy community, those that seek to uh, love others will create community. Uh, I think community is a byproduct of just loving those you're around. Well, uh, the, 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 two, the two big themes of the prophets are judgment and hope. And uh, judgment uh, the judgment of God does not mean that God is a is a, a supernatural agent who will sweep in and punish us, uh, but rather uh, they they write poetry that uh, exhibits for us uh, the risks of uh, living against God's intention, uh, and and poetry has a way of showing us dimensions of reality that we otherwise uh, cannot and do not see. Um, so they claim um, that, that their word comes from God, but if you ask any artist, uh, how are you able to do this, a good artist will say, well, it just came to me, it just came to me. I don't understand that, but I found myself able to do this. And I think that's what they mean when they say this is the word from the Lord. It just came to me like that. So, since 9-11, um, I found that my Muslim friends uh, and I were defined over against each other. So, the, in the politics of identity that followed, um, the terror and the counter-terror, uh, we found ourselves um, divided. Uh, one of the ways that we have come together is through seeing Jesus not as a poster boy for Christians came crusading against Muslims, but by seeing Jesus as the supreme example, the Messiah or the Messiah, uh, that's acceptable as such to both Christians and Muslims. So it's, we've been fascinated with the, the, the person of Jesus. Um, 
both as Christians and Muslims. And uh, we've been fascinating with the Beatitudes of Jesus as a framework for engaging a world of poverty and violence. And as we've reflected on, on jihad, um, uh, we've, um, we've recognised how that's become a frightful word. Um, it's become a byword for terror. And um, my Muslim friends have said to me, you know, for, jihad, for us, jihad is, is, is not about war, still less about holy war. It's about a struggle for justice. And, and as we've gone back and read some of the text in the, jihad, in the Quran about jihad, we've had conversations about maybe reclaiming jihad from the extremists and reframing it as a, an understanding of uh, a nonviolent struggle for justice. And as we've talked about that, we've made the connection between jihad and Jesus and said, wow, you know, maybe G- Jesus is the, the ultimate example of, um, of jihad uh, as a nonviolent struggle for justice. And so out of those conversations, this book has emerged where we've um, decided to write in a way that invites a whole range of other people to be a part of this conversation to see whether, in fact, Christians and Muslims can consider Jesus as a supreme example of uh, a non-violent struggle for justice and, and come together as Christians and Muslims to, to um, struggle non-violently side by side um, to try and work for change in our world. One, one other response was a beautiful sentence I heard from Sandra Schneider's great New Testament scholar who was over here speaking a number of years ago. And she said something along the lines of that the Bible doesn't give us answers to the questions that we have about life. How can it? It was, you know, back then. But what it does do is try to teach us how to be the kind of people who grapple with the questions. Um, Because one thing that we do know about life that's not going to change from two and a half thousand years ago to now is that it will be full of problems. And how do we become the sort of people who can work our way through the problems? And so for me, that's the other part of being biblical people. We've gone through a spate in the United States of African-American males being killed unarmed, being killed by white policemen in this country. Now we're capable of prejudice, we're capable of evil, but where does that come from? Does it come from the fact that we were born evil? No, I don't think so. I think we were born with all sorts of human potential. Uh, The potential for evil is certainly there, but that's not the basis of our creation. Now what happens if in human life is that every living thing, every plant, every insect, every tree, every vine, every animal, every human being is survival oriented. The nature of biology is to try to survive. You watch the patterns of birds and insects and animals, they're all survival patterns. None of that is conscious. You can actually take a plant from the front of your house to the back of your house and the plant will turn to receive the sun from another direction uh, because the plant is survival oriented. That's the nature of life is to survive. And I could tell you stories because we went around the world looking for survival stories in the subhuman world and they are everywhere. Now, it's not conscious. These plants aren't conscious. These vines that snake through the forest until they come to the tallest tree so they can climb that tree and get up to the sunshine, they're not thinking creatures. They're doing natural things in the survival-driven world of, of living entities. But when you get to human life, we're, we become self-conscious creatures. The thing that separates human beings from the rest of the animal kingdom is that we are self-conscious. We live in a dimension called time. Time simply flows through animals. 
Animals don't anticipate their death. Human beings do because we understand that we are creatures of time. I've never known a cow to buy life insurance. I've never known a I've never known a dog to write out a last will and testament because they don't anticipate that they are finite creatures, but we human beings do. And so the nature of human life is to be survival oriented. I think I could take every evil that any human being ever does to any other human being, and I could root it in this quest for survival. It's we build ourselves up by tearing other people down. That's where all of our prejudices come from. Uh, we, we, we will steal in order for us to survive. We will kill in order for us to survive. We will manipulate the world to our advantage. Uh, a lot of our economic system is based on that. So that's the nature of humanity. We do evil things, not because we're evil people, but because we're survival-driven biological creatures. And if the Christian faith has a meaning, it is that it calls us to transcend being driven by our own biology. That's what the Jesus story says. Jesus is not a survival-oriented person. He's someone who, when he's betrayed, loves the betrayer. He's someone who, when he's denied, loves the denier. When he's forsaken, he loves the forsakers. When he's persecuted, he loves the persecutors. When he's being killed, he loves the killers. That's a different kind of humanity. That's a new level of consciousness. And if we could tell the Christ story in terms of helping us to become more deeply and fully human so that we can begin to love somebody else more than we love ourselves, it becomes a powerful story that uh, still has relevance to our world. Cause if we don't have love, we don't have anything. Because love Matt and I have had an amazing time speaking to experts, both local and international. But for me, one of the best moments was this moment with Bruce Sanguine, when we asked him the question, do we still need the church? I'm, I'm uncertain about this. You can, you, you know, like I would have given you a whole bunch of stuff uh, a few months ago, but... Yeah, I'm not sure that. I mean, the the question for me is: that Do do we need? Have we surpassed? Have we surpassed Christianity as a religion? And um, you know, I I carry on writing as though we have we haven't, and we need. There's still some life in the old bones. <laughs> um, but I'm a bit stumped right now when you ask the question. I'm just being honest. Like I, you know, I've been two years out of the church. I I haven't gone to a worship service in those two years, mm. to be honest with you. I don't feel like I need it. Um, I'm just hearing myself speak <laughs> right now. I don't, I don't need it as it now exists. Mm. Mm. Uh, but there's there's something about there's something about the Christ energy that I think still is unique that is 
A, real. Like I still think you can encounter the Christ as a field, as a, as a personal presence who is transformative. And here, I mean, I, got, I came into this as a born-again Christian, and I met Christ. And before all of the fundamentalist overlays and all the belief systems came in, I was transformed by love. I met the presence of love. And it's in some ways, I feel like as I'm speaking here, I'm realizing I'm coming back to that, that the Christ still lives as a, as a real, transformative presence and so in some ways if if the church could get back to that without all the fundamentalist beliefs around around the christ and if if there was a way to do that stripped of all of that and just allow this presence as it as it as it stripped paul down on the road to Damascus and completely transformed his life. And if that's gonna if that can happen over and over again today, then by all means. And if if the church then is the gathering of those people who have been stripped to the core by love and have purged of everything that is not love, and that's their intention, and they're they're there to support each other and then to uh, witness to that in the world in their way of being and in and how they want to transform social political institutions then shit bring bring it on <laughs> like if that's the church then we need the church but as it now exists i i i don't know what i love about that was he almost dissolved into i don't know we were no longer hearing from an expert. We were hearing from a human. We weren't hearing just from a head. We were hearing from his heart. We've talked a bit about what Beyondering is, but it's worth saying what Beyondering is not. We're not trying to convince you to come back to church if you've left, but we're also not trying to call you away from the church if you're within it. Beyondering is about where we're headed to, not where we're headed from it's what we're for it's not what we're against it's not pointing the finger at what bad faith is we want to point the finger towards what good faith is we asked some of our community what do you see good faith as and when we did that it's almost as though the description of it formed this beautiful picture of what we think beyondering is good faith is childlike is positive it's not anti-anyone. Looks like a broken human struggling to be a good one with others. Changes shape consistently over a lifetime. Asks questions. Draws me to be more authentically me rather than just putting me in a box. Active. Feels uncomfortable but not unstable. Feels uncomfortable sometimes and draws you into new personal territory. It's about caring for others and is always learning. It's not cynical. It's hopeful. Good faith feels like hope. So, have we got everything, Matt? I think so, although 
just one last thing. Bit of a confession. I think we need to say you're not going to like everything you hear on this podcast. We're going to welcome a spectrum of theological beliefs. And in fact, if you've got all the guests we're going to interview and put them around the one table, they're not actually going to agree. Yeah, we we also need to say we don't have a fixed idea of what people should end up thinking after listening to this. We're more interested in creating the conversations whereby people can discover their own voices. And we just want these conversations to happen and we want these conversations to be in the open air. There's just so much learning and journeying that's going on that people need to hear this stuff. I confess too that I would love you to feel good about everything we say, but at times, in reality, you're actually going to feel uncomfortable. And we actually feel that some of that discomfort is really important, that it's possibly a really fertile bit of soil for you to ask more questions that perhaps have not yet been adequately asked. So we're going to ask you to stick with and stay with the discomfort. We also need to confess that we come with a lens, with a story. We stand within the Christian story ourselves personally. So we don't want to pretend that we're not without bias. We don't want to pretend that we don't have a native language or we don't use words or terminology that come from that place. But if you're not part of the Christian framework, we want you to come with us. We want you to feel welcome and feel able to participate in this because you have something to teach us. And finally, I think we want to say that we're sorry for all the times that we've got in the way of God and got in the way of love. For the Christian part in me, not for the Christ, but for the Christian, I'm sorry. For when I look at the book and look at my life, when I look at the Christ and look at the church, the two are as black and white. And so for the way that I have silenced you with words I thought were the only true, for every preacher that has yelled at you, every Bible that's been quoted at you, every megaphone that has damned you, every friend that has judged you, every parent that has guilted you, I am sorry. And for my brothers who say that God hates fags, oh, how I wish they were not my brothers. Sometimes it is easier to love your enemies than your kin. So to every boy who sliced wrists because he didn't fit within, no matter how much he pushed and pulled, did not fit in his skin, was told he was sin, the demons lurked within, I am sorry. You are not broken because you are gay. We are all broken because we are human, because we treat each other this way. The way we judge by the words that are spoken, by the burqa you were cloaked in, by the crystals you believed in, by the gender you were born in. So to every person I did not converse with but tried to convert instead, I'm sorry for the way that I couldn't see past these glasses. Sorry for the way that I thought my pastor spoke the absolute truth. Didn't know that he was broken just like the rest of us. Thought he was the best of us. For the arrogance I thought was confidence when I thought I was right and you were wrong. We were good and you were bad. We were light and you were dark. I took a pen and drew a line before us. Took some bricks and built a wall between us. Stood on the pedestal crafted the cross into a pulpit and yelled at you from within it. I am sorry. 
To the lady who was beaten as I sang songs within my church To the addict who overdosed as I dined with Christian friends To the beggar who needs money as my money built church buildings To the boat person arriving on these shores of hope and hopelessness To the teenager who is pregnant with abortion as an option I am sorry we have yelled at you, made you feel so alone We should have put an arm around you and walked with you home Whether it was a pram you pushed before you that day Or just the will to keep on walking And so for the wars that were fought in the name of the Christ And the swords that were swung in the name of his love The bombs that exploded, the bullets sang hymns The tanks marched on like good Christian soldiers Who prayed every day for their God to be with them As their brothers they fought and their sisters they shot Their sons in the flame Did we not recognise they all prayed the same For this God to be with them, for this God to protect Oh how this God must have wept If only we'd listened to the prayer of the other If only we'd seen that he was our brother Whether on his knees with his hands to the east Whether yarmulke wearing or burka bearing whether sitting beneath the Bodhi tree or kissing the feet of some saint celebrity we lifted the rifle to shoot the enemy the cross bearing flag to show our allegiance to be we did not hear the sound whispered from the cross that day forgive them father for they know not what they do we forgot that the Christ we claimed to follow walked the talk of non-violence Ate the stale bread of silence, stood up against the systems of military might, of fear and oppression, of bigoted aggression. This is my confession. And so with every part of me, I would keep following this Jesus and the life that he lived and the love that he gives. Yet every part of me, because of this history, would deny that I am a Christian. To put high walls between these brothers and I. But who am I to be bigoted about the bigoted? And who am I to condemn those who condemn? If I keep the name Christian, perhaps I can speak to them, remind them of this Jesus of Mother T and Martin King, of Mandela and Tutu, of the great man from Assisi. Yes, with these names behind me, there is still some pride left in my ancestry. And for all else, I say, I am sorry. Our thanks to Joel McCaro, performance poet, for his piece, Confessions. Thanks for joining us on Beyondering. Great to have you along for the ride. Next week, we launch into our topical episodes, and you're in for a real treat. We're starting with Jared McKenna. We're really looking forward to you hearing more about him. He's someone who's been involved in Love Makes a Way, First Home Project, Common Grace, some dynamic projects. He's going to be speaking to us about justice and peace. I think people are ready to see things that look like Jesus. Uh, I mean, um, even when people disagree, when it's done not out of a sense of like, here we are and we're incredible and we're going to save the day, but actually, no, we're, we're completely complicit in systems that constantly silence the voice of those who are suffering. And we want to confess with being a part of that. And we want to actually say, please hold us accountable to be more like Jesus and less like jerks. So go to our website, beyondring.com.au. Jump on our Facebook page. Join us and follow us uh, at Twitter, at GoBeyondring. And join in the conversation. Uh, Even keep your eye out on Periscope if you're on that. Matt and I might be jumping on and debriefing some of our conversations in between each episode as they come out. So join us next week as together we go beyond the Beyond Ring is supported by 
the Progressive Christian Network of Victoria. Join the network, find resources and learn about upcoming events at pcnvictoria.blogspot.com.au and Common Dreams, an alliance of religious progressives in Australia, New Zealand and the South Pacific. Visit commondreams.org.au to learn more about the next Common Dreams conference to be held in Brisbane, September 16th to 19th, 2016. The Beyond Ring podcast is enriched by the poetry of Cameron Simmons. Go to webcameron.com and Joel McCaro. Go to joelmccaro.com. The Beyond Ring theme music is created by Caleb Garfinkel at Gotfink Studios and original music by heatherlynmusic.com. Edited by Shaz Mullins and produced by Adam Round and Bouncy Ball.